The title of the message this morning is How to Become an Effective Witness for Jesus. And I want to answer two questions. And the first one is How to Become a Witness for Jesus? And the second question then is How to Be an Effective Witness for Jesus? So, have you ever stopped to think, how do we become a witness for Jesus? Well, the answer is in Acts 2 verse 38. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In other words, the moment that you have turned away from your sin, and you have put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have become a witness. And remember to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, not just to believe truths about him. Now, I have a confession to make. For about the last 45 years, I have stopped trying to be a witness. Does that sound terrible? No, because I came to realize that every born-again believer is a witness. And if you have put your faith in Christ... You are a witness to the fact that he died for our sins, that he conquered death, and that he now offers forgiveness to those who repent. And the only choice that you and I have is, what kind of witness will we be? We can be a good one. We can be a bad one. Or we can be an indifferent one. Jesus said in Matthew 5.13, you are the salt of the earth. You don't have a choice. That's what you are. And he's speaking, of, obviously, to his disciples. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty? Again, it is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. Yes, we are the salt, but it also tells us that we can become ineffective. And so the main question I want to deal with this morning is how to be an effective witness. Well, let's start with saying, well, what is a witness? A witness is somebody who gives evidence at a trial. Whose trial? The trial of Jesus Christ. Who is the jury? The world. Because every person has to make a decision about Jesus. The question that Pilate asked the crowd in Matthew 27, 22 is asked of every person who ever lived. What shall I do then with Jesus who is called Christ? And John 1, 9 tells us that Jesus has given light to every man in the world and someday he will judge the members of the jury. Please note, he doesn't do it now, but he will one day judge the members of the jury about their decision. And people often say, well, what about people who've never heard? Well, everybody has had some revelation, even especially in, the, in your eastern and far east countries, very limited revelation, and God will judge us on the extent to which they responded to that. But that's for the future. Right now, Jesus is not the judge. He is on trial. In fact, in John 12:47, he said that he did not come to judge the world, but to save it. So the world is the jury. Who's the prosecutor? Satan. And Satan is always trying to discredit the testimony of believers. We read in Revelation 12.10, the accuser of our brothers, who accuses them before our God day and night, referring here to Satan. 
Who's the attorney for the defense? The Holy Spirit is the defense attorney. We read in John 16 verse 8, When he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. And it's speaking here of the Holy Spirit. Now, please note that both the prosecutor and the defense attorney are trying to convince the jury about what is truth and what decision they should make. So it means that both Satan and the Holy Spirit uses the testimony of the witnesses. And who are they? Every believer. Jesus said in Luke 24 verse 46, The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. You are witnesses of these things. And the only way that you and I can recuse ourselves as a witness is to walk away from the faith. It's just to reject him totally. Then you will no longer be a witness. But if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are a witness. Well, the question, of course, could be asked, well, why should we witness? And it's interesting, there are three basic reasons. Did you know that it is linked to assurance of faith? In Romans 10, 9 and 10, we read, If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. And we're inclined to focus often only on the believing part. But if faith is genuine, we will speak it out. And on the odd occasion where I had the privilege of bringing somebody to put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the first thing I encourage them to do is to go and tell somebody. And if it's in our home, I usually ask them to go and tell my wife what has just happened. And they will tell you that the minute you speak out to somebody that you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, it just gives you an assurance. Yes, I know I am. Another reason to witness is it's a source of victory. In Revelation 12:11, for example, they overcame him, and it's speaking of Satan, by the blood of the Lamb, yes, and by the word of their testimony. You know, it's a lot more difficult to commit sin after we have testified to other people that we are his children. Three weeks after I got engaged to Joy, I went off to Argentina for ten months. And there are very, very beautiful girls in Argentina, let me tell you. And one of the first things I did whenever I had any kind of interaction with a girl was to tell her, I am engaged to be married. And some of that immediately put a stop to any further attempts to try and flirt with them or for them to flirt with me. And then it was just that victory. And the third reason is, it's the purpose of our salvation. 1 Peter 2.9 says, You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. And that's the only reason why after we get saved, the Lord doesn't take us to heaven immediately. And it's sad to know that there are some people, some believers, who actually miss out on God's purpose for their lives. What do you think is the biggest obstacle to witnessing? I think it's really only just one. Fear of what people might think of us. 
We have an example of that in John 12. Many, even among the leaders, believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they would not confess their faith for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue, for they loved praise from men more than praise from God. And fear of what people might think is probably the greatest barrier. We are afraid of what people might think of us if only we realized how seldom they really think of us because they're too busy thinking of themselves anyway. All right, let's look at what makes for ineffective witnessing. And I've got three things here. And the first one is a self-orientated testimony. You know, when, just after I became a Christian, and that was more almost 60 years ago, I was told I must always let people know where we stand. I realized that's nonsense. The purpose of witnessing is not to let people know where we stand. It's got nothing to do with us. And I was, as a young Christian, I was taught this. And so I remember when somebody asked me, what does it mean to be a Christian? I said, well, I don't smoke, I don't drink, I don't mess around with girls. That really attracted them to Christ, don't you think? I mean, that's crazy. It's got nothing to do with us. It's got to do with Jesus. And our witness is to him and what he has done in our lives, not where we are standing. And then the second reason for, and, and Paul writes, for example, in Romans 15, 18, he says, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. That is to be the focus. And then probably the most greatest uh, contribution to an effective, or that makes witnessing ineffective, is questionable behavior when we just behave in manners in ways that just annuls what we say we believe this is what Paul accused the Jews of in Romans 2 he said you who brag about the law do you dishonor God by breaking the law as it is written God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you and how often does that not happen? How often have you not heard people say, well, I don't want to be a Christian if that's what Christians are like. And it can be just gossiping. It can be discourteous behavior. Things like, simple things like coming late, not returning a phone call, not keeping a promise, all reduces the effectiveness of our testimony. In the security complex where we live, there was an old lady, she has passed away now since, but we used to refer to her as the sergeant major, because she would like always be standing outside and watching people drive. Now the village is very small, many of you know that, you've been there. You know. And one day it was reported to me that she said, that man drives too fast, and he calls himself a Christian. And I thought, ouch, we are watched even by the speed and judged by the speed at which we drive. And whether we like it or not, the world watches us. Years ago, a travel agent told, asked me, she said, what do they teach at your church? I said, well, why do you ask? She said, well, I had a dealing with one of your people who's a member of your church and the aggressive way in which he, she spoke to me. I'm just wondering what goes on in your church. And you just say, ouch, ouch. Yes, whether we like it or not, the world is watching us. And our lifestyle should be such but they cannot point fingers at us. Second Peter one, Second uh, Peter three fourteen says our lives ought to be blameless. And then maybe the third contribution to ineffective witnessing is what I would call preaching 
at unbelievers, judging unbelievers. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5.12, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? And pointing out sinful behavior to people, telling them they're going to go to hell if they don't repent, is probably the worst kind of witnessing we can do. Picketing abortion clinics, damning homosexuals, it's not going to make anybody turn to Christ. In fact, it will turn them away from him. And it's interesting that Jesus never, ever condemned people like that. The only people he ever condemned were the religious people because he just hates religion. Which, by the way, is defined as the effort to earn God's favor by our religious activities. Well, who should we witness to? And the only answer I can come up with is the people that we rub shoulders with on a day-to-day -day basis. Jesus said in um, Acts 1 verse 8, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, this is my interpretation of what Jerusalem represents and Judea and Samaria, so just bear with me. But I think Jerusalem is close at home. And this is the acid test of our faith, isn't it? The testimony we carry at home because you cannot bluff your family. They can see right through you. And then maybe Judea would be the extended family. Again, it's just my interpretation. The aunts, the uncles, the cousins, the in-laws. People that we deal with quite often. They too can see whether our faith is genuine or not. And then maybe Samaria might be our workplace. The way we behave with integrity. The way we relate to our co-workers. And then maybe the ends of the earth might be the casual encounters sometimes at people that you bump into at the shopping mall, somebody you start talking to somebody on an airplane, or whatever it was. There are basically three methods of witnessing. And we tend to assume that witnessing means speaking to someone about our faith. Well, it may eventually lead to that, but do you know that that is not the primary method of witnessing? Do you know what is the most powerful method of witnessing more than anything else? Deeds of love. Genuine caring for others. Jesus said to his disciples, John 13, 35, By this all men will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another. Not if you have a bumper sticker with a fish on it. And because of our society, and particularly in our kind of society, most people know about Jesus. Most people have, ha have got some church affiliation of one kind or another. And if you suddenly start speaking to them, they're just going to say, whoa, here's another religious fanatic. We need to earn the right to be heard. And showing love is the most powerful way of doing that. Two weeks ago, Joy and I spent a few days at a hotel in the Drakensberg. There was snow on the mountains, it was cold, and in the evening, in the hotel, there are about four lounges with fireplaces. And in front of each lounge, there are two comfortable seats, and then, of course, seats further back. And during about 7 o'clock that evening, we wanted to know everybody. Those two seats in front of every fireplace was occupied. And the lounge that we finally went and sat in somewhere to the back, there was just a young black lady sitting on her own in front of the fire. And after about 10 minutes... She got up and she approached her. She said, won't you please come and sit here? And we said, no, no, it's fine. I mean, you have every right to sit there. You got there for No, please, she insists. She wants us to sit there. 
And we thanked her profusely. And she didn't go back to her room. She moved to another part of the lounge, even put a blanket over her knees just to keep her warm. And we were just gobsmacked by that deed of love. And we, we said to her, wow, that was amazingly kind. And on the way back to the room, I said to Joy, I, I'm sure that girl is a Christian. And so we said, Lord, won't you let us meet with her again? And the next day, as we walk in the grounds, there she was. And I went to her and I said, tell me, are you a follower of Jesus Christ? And her face just lit up and she said, yes. But you know that that act of love made a huge impact on me. You know, just doing things like that. I read the story of a single mother. She had a small baby. She was struggling to cope with life. And ladies at a nearby church offered to take turns to come every weekday in the afternoons to babysit. And, of course, in due course, she started attending their church. And when a friend of hers heard that she was going to that church, she said to her, What? Do you know what those people believe? She says, No, I don't know what they believe. I only know they held my baby. That's being an effective witness. Meeting the needs of someone else without, please note, without an ulterior motive. Jesus said in Matthew 5:16, In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Do you notice that the emphasis is on deeds, not on words? I can't resist showing you this cartoon of two little boys fishing. Do you know what Jesus said to the fishermen? He said, come with me and I will teach you to catch people. Catch people? You can see he's really thinking about it, isn't it? I wonder what he used for bait. And there's a bait, a heart the end of the fishing line representing love and you know and forgive me if I share some of the examples that, of my own life because I don't have other examples to share but there was a, um, a guard near the shopping center in, uh, in um, Watercliffe and his name is Godfrey and Godfrey always sort of hello Godfrey and looked after our cars when we parked there and, and he had a radio that he was always listening to and one day no radio. And we said, hey, what's happened to your radio? He said, no, somebody stole it. And we went and bought him a small little portable radio. You know, a little while, we said nothing to him about, you know, we do this because the Lord loves you or anything like that. Do you know what happened? The next time we were there, he came to us and he said, will you please pray for me? Wow. And it's important that we care for others without the motive of, oh, I've got to care for them, but I've got to let them know, you know, that this is because I'm a Christian. Do you remember when there was this tsunami in the Philippines? And there were, you know, and there were a number of relief organizations, Christian organizations, some of them, who wanted to help. And there was a relief agency in South Africa, and the, it was actually my son Michael who said, listen, there's a Muslim relief organization. They're really on the ball. They're well organized. Let's throw our resources in with them. And, and you know, do, no, we could never work with those people. They're not Christians. Come on, that's wrong. 
Do it for the sake of helping people. And it might have been a great testimony, by the way, to that Muslim organization. I don't know about you, but when I give to beggars, I don't say, this is because Jesus loves you. I'm scared they might say, well, if Jesus loves me, why doesn't he give me more? You know, so I discovered that at work, for example, just taking an active interest, a genuine interest in colleagues, without necessarily talking to them on spiritual issues, when they faced crises in their lives, they actually would come and seek help. And then there was the opportunity to share with them. You know that we will be judged on the extent we cared for those in need. Matthew 25, the king will say to those on his right, Come, you are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And they said, Lord, when did we do these things? And the king will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of these, of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. And then he will say to those on the left, Depart from me, you are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And he judges them for not caring for those who are in need. And that's how we will be judged. Not by how many people we led to the Lord. Because frankly, words without love are useless. 1 Corinthians 13.10 If I could speak all the languages of earth and angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. I'm sure you've heard of St. Francis of Assisi. He was in this monastery and one day he invited a young friar to come and join him. He says, and we are going to go to the local village and we're going to preach. Oh, and the young friar is so excited. And when they arrived in the village, they saw a lady working in a garden and they went and helped her work in the garden. And then they come across a shop keeper who was unloading goods and they helped him pack it on the shelves and then they visit the hospital and they prayed with several sick people and towards the end of the day the young friar said so when are we going to start preaching and Francis of Assisi said we've been preaching all day long and he the famous quote that he made was witness by every means possible and if necessary use words for example, 1 Peter 3 1 says that unbelieving husbands are to be won over by their wives' behavior without words. We are to be a sweet fragrance. 2 Corinthians 2 14 through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of Him. And we cannot do that if we have a holier than thou or a superior attitude very interesting that a number of the security guards in our village have come and asked us for a Bible. We've never offered it to them. How do they know that we're even Christians? Maybe it was just the way we speak to them, the, the way we take the trouble to get to know their names and, and just address them like that. I don't know. That's by far the most powerful method of witnessing. The second method of witnessing well what do you think is this method do you remember when Jesus was in 
at the well of Samaria, and there was this woman. She'd had many husbands, and you know, he spoke to her, and she ran back to the village. And what did she say? Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? She had no theological knowledge. She couldn't explain the way of salvation. She just extended an invitation. And the invitation that you and I can extend, first of all, might be just to say to me, Hey, come. Why, why not come with me to church? Why not come with me to a cell group? Why not come with me to a cell meeting? For example, do you remember when we had this campaign, the 40 days of purpose? Many people came to know the Lord because somebody had invited them and said, Man, we're having these special services. In recent times, we know of people, because I've done a lot of those devotions, of people who have said to other people, Would you like to just... I, I heard a devotion that was very interesting for me, very helpful. Can I send it to you? I mean... They don't have to explain the gospel. They don't have to get into... They can just do that. Maybe an invitation just to read. Joy gave the book The Purpose Driven Life to a lady who assists in the hair salon. And the next time she went there, she was, Joy was told, it changed my life. I gave my own book on the becoming what you are to our gardener. And a few weeks later, he came and told us he's put his faith in Christ. That's all. Maybe... It, it's an invitation to hear. Bernard was one of our security guards and he died. And, and Joy expressed sympathy to one of the guards and mentioned how we all need to be ready to die. And then she asked him if he knew where he was going. And he said, up or down? And Joy said, well, I know for sure I'm going up. To which Rifat replied, how can I also be sure? And that was the invitation. And he came to our home and he found the Lord there. We have a sharp uphill out of our security village and often the, you know, we will pick up some of the domestic helps, the servants who work there. We give them a lift up the hill. And I gave one lady a lift one day. I don't do this often, but I gave her one day and I said, I hope your last journey is going to be up. And she said, how do you mean? And I explained, well, you know, do you know that you're going to heaven? She says, no, nobody's ever explained it to me. I said, would you like to hear? Yes. And she came the next day. And she found the Lord. And I did the same thing to another domestic a few weeks later. And I said, would you like to know? She said, yes. I said, well, you know, come to my house. She said, no, I'm sorry, I can't. I have to catch the bus. <laughs> and catching the bus was more important than finding eternal life. Well, that was her choice. And then the third method. What do you think is it? It's giving a personal testimony. Now, 1 Peter 3.15 says that we should only give a personal testimony, please note, when asked. And when will people ask us? Only once we've established a relationship with them. We have an example. You know, you say, well, how do I give a testimony? What do I do? Well, Paul gave an, a testimony in Acts 26, and he, and he gave some and here are the, the parts of a good testimony. He starts off with his own history. He says, the Jews all know the way I have lived ever since I was a child. And I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. So he simply starts telling his own history. This is what my life was like. Then he shared with them his conversion experience. He said, 
on one of these journeys I was going to Damascus and you know the story and, it, and he told us and this was actually telling the story to, to uh, the governor Festus and also to King Agrippa and his wife Beatrice and he's just explaining this is what happened then he told the changes it brought about and he said so then King Agrippa I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven and he told how he got into ministry that way and then he shared the gospel message and he said and what I'm doing is I'm teaching everybody that the Messiah would suffer and be the first to rise from the dead and he ended it with an invitation and he said King Agrippa do you believe the prophets I know you do I pray to God that both you and everyone here in this audience might become the same as I am please note he's still not trying to convince his audience he's not trying to pressurize them anyway well, let me close off with some really good news. You and I are not alone in this. Because 1 Corinthians 3, 9 says, We are fellow workers with God. And when you're in a fellow worker, when you're a co-worker with somebody, each one has a distinct responsibility. Well, what then is God's responsibility in this whole question of witnessing first of all he equips us that's that's not my responsibility Jesus said come follow me and I will make you fishers of men and later in Luke 12 11, he said and when you are brought before synagogues and rulers and authorities or your neighbors or your friends or whoever do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say and that's the truth. I don't have to make myself a fisherman. He does that. And we don't have to worry what we're going to say. And then he empowers us. Acts 1 verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. I referred to that scripture before. So it doesn't depend on our ability. You know, I've in the past given a full presentation of the gospel to people and it's had no effect whatsoever. But I also remember one day a colleague and we were talking, I think, about an issue with his daughter or something like that. And the next day he says, you know that the Lord changed my life by what you said. I said, what did I say? It was one comment, one phrase I said and that just hit him. And I realized again, the Lord is not dependent on how well and how logical we are and how well we put it out, just that we are faithful. And he uses whatever we say to accomplish it. And the wonderful thing is that he prepares the hearer. This is the wonderful thing. In Acts 10.30, we read of Cornelius. He answered, he said to Peter, four days ago I was in my house praying and suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer, send to Joppa for Simon who is called Peter, so I sent for you immediately and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. How's that for being prepared, eh? for giving Peter just that open door? I don't often speak to people on the plane when I travel. But on one occasion, somebody sat next to me and we just normally chit-chat. You know, just the usual and so on and nothing serious. And um, 
And then I said to him, look, excuse me, I've got a sermon to preach on Sunday and I need to prepare. And, you know, oh, yeah, go ahead. And I took out my laptop. And you know what happened? He started, <laughs> and he started asking questions. And it was just the most wonderful, natural opportunity to share the gospel with him. I've never met him again since then. I don't know if he put his faith in Christ. That's not my responsibility. But the Lord opened the way. It could also be that he would take out a book and start reading, and that was the end of the conversation. The wonderful thing is that the Lord creates the opportunities. Ephesians 2.10, we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And I do not get up in the morning and say, who, who am I going to witness to today? Well, I'm, it's simple. Let me get on with my life. The daily things we need to do. And the opportunities will come our way. Just the other day, a contractor came to our house to do some business. And he asked me an interesting question. He said, you know, the profits in my business have gone down. And my self-image has taken a knock. Can you explain to me why? So, yeah, well, let's, let's talk. And I was able to share that his self-esteem was based on his business success. My self-esteem is based on my relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And it was just a natural opening. Two weeks ago, it was also in the Drakensberg, we were at a particular shop. And this lady, the shopkeeper, started complaining about all the things in the country that were wrong and, you know, and all that. And Georgia said, well, I believe that God is in control. Her reaction was, if that works for you, great. <laughs> End of conversation. You don't have to pursue it. You don't have to try and persuade. And the wonderful thing is that he opens the hearts. In a, we have an example of that in Acts 16, 14. One of those listening, that was to Paul, was a woman named Lydia. And the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. You and I are not responsible for converting people or even pressurizing them. Well, what is our responsibility? First of all, to be prepared. 1 Peter 3.15 Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone, please note, who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Some years ago, I did some management seminars in Dubai, and all the audience, all the managers there were, were, would be Muslims. And so... In this, in this time, I just make very brief reference to my faith in Jesus Christ and what it did for me. And I know that somebody's going to ask me, have you read the Quran? So I actually got a Quran and I started and I read three or four pages to it. And lo and behold, at the very next seminar, a guy comes to me at tea time and says, have you read the Quran? I said, yes, I'm reading it. I said, it's amazing how the Quran and the Bible are so similar when it comes to ethical behavior. Yes, he said. I said, but that totally different in describing the way of salvation he said how are they different well he asked me didn't he <laughs> just by being prepared and I was able to make that kind of link and maybe you need to just maybe even a, use, learn to use an aid like the four spiritual laws I, I use a, a, some of you have seen this gospel graph and I will say to somebody have you ever seen the message of the bible by way of a graph no would you like to? <laughs> they always say yes. <laughs> Secondly, our responsibility is just to be bold. 
Second Timothy 1.8. So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me, his prisoner. And we need to be bold when the opportunity arises naturally. We don't have to force an opportunity. Now, I must admit, sometimes I'm tempted to keep quiet. For example, on those seminars in, in Saudi Arabia. And yet, the Lord just prompt me and I just say, well, just as you believe in the prophet Muhammad, my faith is in Jesus Christ and this is what it did for me. And I've never had any negative reaction to that. And you know what's one form of boldness that people never refuse? May I pray for you? Just as simple as that. And then finally, we must leave the results to him. 1 Corinthians 3, 5 and 6, Paul says, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. I have no idea what impact my testimony has on people. I have absolutely no idea. And it doesn't matter, because that is his responsibility. Shall we pray? Our Father, we recognize that we as your children have no choice. We are your witnesses. And Lord, our prayer is that we will be effective witnesses for you. That you will make us sensitive to opportunities. Opportunities just to care for people, just to show them love, just to do things for them. And then perhaps opportunities to invite them either to come and hear someone, come and read something. And Lord, also perhaps for opportunities to share our testimony. But thank you that we don't have to convert people. Thank you that we do are not responsible for the results. That is the Holy Spirit's role because he will take our testimony and convince the jury and so we pray, Lord, that our lives might just bring joy to your Father heart. Amen.